Jacob Wayne show. I am your Jacob Wayne, and with me, as always, is the sumptuous Kellen Gibbons. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. I don't even know that word, but I'm gonna take it as a good one. Well, there's gonna be a lot of clicking on this show, so we might as well just get used to it, and if you hate it as a listener, feel free to write us at fakoshka at gmail.com. But... Let's take a look. Sumptuous is entailing great expense, as from choice materials, fine work, uh, luxuriously fine or large, lavish, splendid. That does sound like me. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. So, as of today, we are recording at the beginning of Memorial Day weekend, the 29th of Saturday, May 2021. Uh, we missed last week. You were on a vacation, but uh, before yeah. we get into any of that, what are you sipping on? Three, two, one. Oh, <laughs> got the bottle opener on my keychain. Oh, nice. Yeah, <laughs> I am drinking a delicious. Very drinkable Whitkist White. That is W I T K I S T. It is a Ooh. grapefruit white ale from Odell Brewing Company. Oh Lord! It yes. has. I'll read the thing real quick. Whitkist Grapefruit Fruit White Ale is a modern take on a Belgian style white ale, with bright aromas of citrus from pureed grapefruit, and a delicate spice from dried orange peel and coriander. Complex, yet delicate, with a clean, refreshing finish. Whitkiss brings an unexpected twist on tradition. Ooh. Yeah. I like Tried those. to NPR that a little. He did good. Mm. I want one. Yeah, man, they're super easy to drink. They don't fuck you up. So, it's kind of perfect for the summer, too. It's mm. real light and fresh. Yeah, I, I love those. Those white ales, and I'm sure Odell does a, a fantastic one. I'll have to try that. Hell yeah. Uh, what are you sipping on? I got the uh, old Hop Rising Tropical, the double IPA uh, from Squatters. Hell Let's yeah. See. This one says, our brewers don't get out much, but when they do, they come home with more than a sunburn. Our much-loved <laughs> double IPA is testing the tropical waters with notes of mango and citrus derived entirely from exotic hops. Pass the conch, hold the fruit. Well, what are they trying to say, hold the fruit? Anyway. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Give them a squeeze. Oh, yeah. Sounds tasty. It's nice. The um, old hops rising is a little 
little harsh, you know, it's good, but it's that's a big beer. Mm-hmm. This one's a little more smooth with the tropical hop. Yeah. I like me some mango flavor as well. Mm-hmm. And so we got a lot to get into, so we're going to kind of try to move this along. But if we get into some conversations, we'll certainly indulge them. But uh, you got anything coming out right now? Uh, nothing nothing new. The Highline Drifters album is, is coming out soon. I think mm-hmm. it's like next next week, two weeks. In the next two cool. weeks. I know it's within the next two weeks. <laughs> Got any uh, big gigs to plug? Anything like that? Oh, we are doing our CD release if you're up in the Logan area. We're going to be at uh, Y Sound. Getting that all squared away. We're also playing the Monarch Festival the night before, which is a thing also in Nibley. So, yeah. What are the dates on those? Oh man, I was off. I was looking at the wrong day. So the, the Monarch Festival is June 24th, and the mm-hmm. Highline CD release is the next night, the 25th. Cool. So, got a, got a ways. I'll, I'll plug them some more when we get closer, but that's about the only thing Indeed. coming down the pipe for me. Yeah, I'll be visiting Logan uh, 13th through the 20th just to see family and uh, hang out with some friends down in Salt Lake. Uh, yeah. It's first time back there since the whole Pandy hit, and so I'm pretty excited to meet my niece's new husband and uh, see my parents, see some friends. So we might not do any real of our our music stuff too much this trip, but I'm kind of hoping to get back there in the fall and kind of do more of a Koshka type thing. Yeah. Koshka visits, as we would say. Yeah. Uh, as far as new releases go, or anything local, shout out to Woodbelly. They've started playing a bunch of shows. Their Kickstarter was successful. That album's going to be on the way. And nice. we'll get you more info when that's real close. I uh, went and saw our buddies in Spliff Tank last night at the Swing Station in Laporte, Colorado. That's like a smaller town just north of Fort Collins, if you don't know. And, yeah, it was great. (laughs) They're really getting tight and good, writing some new stuff that they debuted. And just, uh, I really enjoyed myself. But now my back's killing me because I'm turning into an old man. And went and had some seltzer water beers (laughs) and stood up for a long time. Punk rock. It was probably the chair after that did it. (laughs) It could have been, yeah. Went and hung out with some folks and had that. Yes. What do you call them? Like steel back chairs or just steel chairs? Whatever. Yeah. Like for the porch. And we're having a good conversation, but yeah. Yeah, those will murder your back. <laughs> Definitely. Um, well, I guess we can get into music and new music releases real quick. Uh, just today, and, you know, this released on Friday, my vinyl for Black Midi's Cavalcade album just showed up. Oh. And that's an excellent, strange band that I just found. And I was reading up on them a little bit. It turns out that they released their first record, which I think was 2018 or something. Maybe even mm-hmm. 19. And they were got it. They released that right out of high school. Oh, wow. So it's like, goddamn. They, like, as one reviewer put it, they have, like, a lot of the experimentation 
of things like Primus and uh, uh, King Crimson, but yeah. they do it in a way that doesn't seem like pretentiously reverent to those bands. It's like they're definitely doing their own thing. Yeah. So that's a great album. Uh, there's new songs by Idols and Danny Elfman and Santa Gold that you should check out. I haven't listened to them yet, but I'm really excited to, and those are always artists that are interesting to hear. There was a posthumous DMX album, Exodus. That's what he was working on before he passed away. Oh. And listen to that today, and, you know, it's a little bit of an old guy trying to rap, but he's still really great, and the beats are great, and so it's probably one of the best releases from him I've heard in a long time. Nice. And yeah, it's just sad because there's even one song on the album, uh, Hood Blues, where he's just, I can't remember the line exactly because I only listened to it once, but it's just like, I'm singing like this because I'm 50 years old for a reason. <laughs> he's just like, oh, that's sad. Got to 50. Maybe a little past it. Yeah. But uh, another new release. Let's see here. I just posted these, and like I said, lots of click in this episode. Um, there is this new band I discovered, which is called Bachelor, I believe. It's a duo of two musicians from other bands that I haven't heard of. Oh, But uh, it's really got that kind of fuzzy uh, 90s Pixies kind of tone and vibe to it. Uh-huh. And but they've really kind of like smoothed it out, and they got these really nice floaty synths or uh, keys to it, and so it has a little bit of a psychedelic flaming lips vibe to it, and so I was really enjoying that. Uh, there is also this other group I just found out about, Portico Quartet. They released a three-song album called Terrain. It is a three-part suite from the quartet led by the London-based crossover jazz artists Duncan Bellamy and Jack Wiley. Recorded during lockdown, Wiley said in a statement that the album was influenced by American minimalism and the work of Japanese composer Midori Takada. So, I listened to it. It has like a still drum pattern on the first track, which actually, so I didn't listen to the whole thing, just the first track. But that was really nice and atmospheric and good. So that is all the new releases that I can speak on, other than I got my St. Vincent vinyl. And that's a sexy album to have on vinyl, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, that sounds like a good one. I still need to check that one out. Mm -hmm. I did uh, think of one. I'm late to the party on this. It came out in March, I guess. But uh, Lake Street Dive put out a new new CD. And I think the main single from it is a song called Hypotheticals. And it's super tasty. It's a nice little funky jam. And you know, the the album version's good, but there's a video of them playing it like live that's even cooler. Mm -hmm. Which so many bands are like that. (laughs) How would you define their sound? I don't know. They they kind of just old school R and B soul funk. Just kind of a little modern twist on that. But they actually even cover uh, some of those old classic funk tunes. Um, okay. Trying to think of the one they do. Um, uh, 
I Wish, I think. The Stevie mm-hmm. Wonder tune, yeah. So, yeah, it's awesome. They're they're a cool band, good singer. Uh Sweet. upright upright basses playing all the funky stuff. It's pretty fun. So, oh. yeah, it's good stuff. I just barely plunked around on an upright for the first time in my life not too long ago. It was a uh, K bass, which I guess are kind of nice. Yeah, and, those, are, uh, those are good ones. Yeah, it was just my buddy Tom from Woodbelly uh, let me do that, so shout out to Tom. Yeah. And uh, I think I might have mentioned a band last episode, or maybe even the episode before, but I couldn't think of the name. Or maybe I did, and I just don't remember. But uh, Butcher Brown, when you were saying kind of R&B influence a little bit. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, Butcher Brown. So I listened to their most recent record, Hashtag King Butch. Nice. And they got a song on there called Truck Fump, which, yeah, I agree. And uh, yeah, the guy kind of does some rap, but then he also like plays a bunch of woodwind instruments like a champ. and Nice. Yeah. So check that out. Uh, with that, I did want to mention real quick, we don't usually do sports on this show. I don't know how into sports you are. I don't think that much, but I pay attention kind of more when the playoffs start happening with most sports. Yeah. The, and yeah, I start, I've started paying more and more attention lately, but yeah, mostly to the playoffs. Yep. So the Utah jazz, our home team. Um, if the Seattle Supersonics were still around, they would be my favorite just because I'm loyal to Seattle sports. But mm-hmm. Utah Jazz are always going to be my favorite or one of my favorites if the Sonics come back. Yeah. And for the first time in franchise history, they have the best record in the NBA. They Hot started down. the playoffs and Donovan Mitchell, after a bad ankle injury, is back. And he's definitely their star player. Mm-hmm. And there's also Rudy Gobert from France, who's like a dominant defensive player. So he's definitely one of their other superstars. I think he's going to get the defensive player of the year. I'm not sure if he's gotten that yet. And they also have the sixth man of the year, um, Clarkson. So they got a great team and it's going to be a tough year to win it all. They got to stay focused, but I think they might be able to do it. And if they get to the finals, we're finally in the finals, not playing Michael Jordan. So maybe (laughs) it could happen. And also in that vein of jazz news, rest in peace to Mark Eaton. He was uh, basically one of the greats of jazz franchise history. He was a center. And a great player, and he passed away, I think it was today. If it wasn't today, it was yesterday. Yeah, I saw that. I And actually, the picture you posted, like mm-hmm. I, everybody else was posting pictures of him from, you know, like re- recent ones. But that, that one, it's like, oh, yeah, I remember watching him play. Yeah. So he's a tall so, dude. <laughs> yeah. One of my friends had a picture with him. And, yeah, that guy's gigantic. It's tall, oaky drink of water. Yep. Rip in peace. And uh, with that, there's also NHL playoffs. And I don't have a favorite team yet because Seattle hasn't started playing. That's next year. And so I got a couple teams I'm watching. Uh, 
some of the ones I like to watch is Colorado Avalanche. Probably mm-hmm. one of the only Colorado teams I really can get into, even though I live here now. But uh, I don't know why. It's hard to get into the other teams. I'm not much in for, for the Broncos or Nuggets or Rockies. It's just all Seattle for me. They all sound like weird appetizers. A little bit. Well, and it, you know what it is? And I usually approach choosing my favorite team from an aesthetic perspective. Yeah. Probably because I'm a painter and an artist and stuff. I like a sleek, clean logo and good color choice. And I do like the Nuggets because they have this uh, rainbow design on their jerseys, which I think are really sick, like especially on a black jersey. Yeah. It's just like really stands out and it's real colorful, which is I'm all about. But uh, other than that, just the designs are like a little too large and elaborate or the colors I'm just not that into. And so it just it makes it hard for me to get into it. I know that might be a simplistic reason for some, but you know what? Sports are entertainment, so you can go fuck yourself. Indeed. And but, uh, on that note... And it, I was just going to say, NHL playoffs, go Maple Leafs, go uh, Avalanche, go Tampa Bay Lightning, and go Islanders. They're still in it, so oh. if any one of those make them to the stand, make it to the Stanley Cup, or two of them, I'll and I'll be enjoying that. There you go. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as far as the jerseys go, that's actually we're talking about the Jazz there. I'm not a big fan of their new jerseys. I miss the old ones. I liked that old look, the purple and green, and that was cool. I like that. I don't like. I... They look like the Miami Heat now. <laughs> I don't like the purple. I never did. What they did with the navy blue to replace it, and then it's the old logo with the green and yellow. I like those a lot more. Yeah, even that was good. I just, I just don't like the new the fire orange. look. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I kind of like it, but the thing is, is if they were to do that, I want them to be consistent. And I know that the whole NBA is doing that now because it's about jersey sales. They want to be able to sell four uh-huh. or five different looks. And I'm just a big fan of like, nope, you have two two jerseys, maybe a third. But like, it's you know, it's like looks like the Boston Celtics, you know, it's like, oh, our dark green ones and then our white ones. Yeah. Boom. And then I mean, the Lakers, I mean, I hate them, but yellow jersey, purple jersey. Yeah, kind of works, but uh, so yeah, I just wish the Jazz would make up their mind, and you know maybe have the old logo but with the orangey yellow like sunset colored scheme. Maybe that would look cool. I don't know. Yeah, because I do like the tribute to Southern Utah. They got the arch on the side of the shorts. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's cool. And things like that. So, but yeah. And it's too late now, but when the Jazz moved here, they really should have changed their name. Yeah. <laughs> there, there ain't no Jazz here. <laughs> yeah. We fear Jazz. Yeah. Maybe they should have just called it Grass. There you Utah go. Grass. Or, I don't know. <laughs> what is the most popular genre in Utah? 
Mormon oh, Tabernacle country. Choir. Yeah. <laughs> country or, yeah, Motab. The Utah Country. Or oh, the boy. Utah Big Sky or some shit. No, that would be Montana, I yep. guess. They got that one locked down. Yeah. Anyway, that's a, that's enough sports talk. I know probably a lot of our listeners maybe aren't that into it, but... Yeah, whatever. We talk about everything we on this show. We haven't even talked about like percentages or anything. Like it's all been. Let me tell you. Let's break down Donovan <laughs> Mitchell's his stats this year. It, it, incredible. He's I mean, shooting he's shooting for thirty-two line, from the field. His free throws are not as hot. Yeah, but you gotta you gotta take into account when he's coming right at the top of the key. He's average. It's dipping, and it's always dipping at least on the home game. So you know that's gonna mean a lot when they get into Memphis, and you know have to go up against the big players. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Anyway, they now, got, now he's now he done sported. <laughs> mm-hmm. So with that, let's do the movie section real quick, and then we'll get into maybe your trip a little bit and our last ending segments. Woo. So I've also I've continued to be on a big movie kick lately. I think I've just been really busy so haven't had a lot of time to paint or work on music like i normally do it's been a lot of like go hammer this into that move this here long days of just making a little extra cash to pay the bills and get home mentally exhausted or slightly physically exhausted and so yeah throw on a movie so the mm-hmm. first movie of this chunk of time was I watched Hot Fuzz, the next installation in that trilogy that I can't remember the name of. Off something the top of, of my blood, head. blood, something. There is blood. No, yeah, the something. Three Flavors Cornetto trilogy. Oh yeah, that's right, Cornetto. Yes, yes, and there's another name for it, but it's not readily available to me. So whatever. Um, that came out in 2007. It was a continuation of like their genre blending that they did with Shaun of the Dead. Mm-hmm. It's kind of their tribute to like action movies, but it's also a comedy. It's directed by Edgar Wright and co-wrote with Simon Pegg. It also has the return of Nick Frost. And it's a hilarious fucking movie. It's probably my favorite one out of the trilogy. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it holds up incredibly well. So many memorable lines that, like, you kind of don't even realize in the moment how much they're going to stick. But it's like, yeah, it's like, he got a big, bushy beard. <laughs> and, like, little lines that, like, if he said it, people that know the movie will be like, ah, but, you know, people might be like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. Or like, yeah, harp. Narp. <laughs> yeah, little things like that. One of my personal favorites in it. Uh, let's find this character. Timothy Dalton as Simon Skinner, the manager of the supermarket. Oh, yeah. uh, Timothy Dalton, if you don't know, um, infamously played James Bond in a kind of a version of James Bond that was really not well received. I, let's see if I can find the title of that real quick. It might have been, yeah, The Living Daylights. So he's in two of them, Living Daylights and License to Kill. Oh, okay. And that was in the 80s when they were really kind of trying to revamp and figure out the Bond 
series as they usually do all the time, but with a particular 80s flair, and I guess it was just kind of wonky, and it was later rebooted with uh, uh, Pierce Brosnan with the 90s, like Goldeneye, and then there was that stretch, and now there's... Uh, oh man, my brain is blanking on names today. Uh, the Craig guy, Craig, Craig Daniel, no. Daniel Craig. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I was right. yeah, yeah, that guy. Yeah, and he did the Casino Royale, and I think he has one more coming out that got delayed because of the pandy. Yeah, but that's his last one, and then I guarantee they're gonna do a whole wild revamp. After that, who's gonna be next? Um, there's been a big push to have a black guy do it, oh. and obviously that creates wonderful civil exchanges on the internet, on fan sites. Yeah, everybody's just you know ready to support a unique change to a story that needs some kind of fresh new perspective. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> anyway, why don't you share some of your thoughts about Hot Fuzz or what you think of it last time you saw it while I pull up the next film? Well, it's been a minute since I've watched that one. Definitely need to go watch it again. But yeah, I, I just remember it's just hilarious. I love how like those lines too, like the hilarious one-liners they throw in, they'll kind of bring them back in other scenes. Like mm-hmm. they're like in his head, like a great big bushy beard, like comes yeah, back, it's like echoing, like <laughs> yeah. in a horror movie kind of way. <laughs> that that always cracks me up. That section. Yeah, they the whole movie is really great with that. Is like you know just callback, um, and then yeah, they're they did it too in Shaun of the Dead, but just all the movie camera techniques and all that. And, like, I guess somewhat special effects and whatever, but one of the funniest scenes in that movie is when he first shows up in town and he goes to the pub and he realizes that there's all these underage drinkers. Oh, yeah. And it zooms in on this kid with, like, just this nerdy, scrawny Harry Potter-looking motherfucker with, like, braces on. Yeah. And he stares at him, and then it just zooms in on his face, and he's like, ha, ha. Yeah. <laughs> there's just like a twinkle on his braces like he's just maniacal yeah <laughs> uh, yeah just it's so much comedy just delivered purely by camera usage and cinematography and yeah that's great yeah just old grandma with a shotgun just kicking her in the face and yeah <laughs> yeah it's an amazing movie if you haven't seen it see it I still need to watch the third one in the trilogy, but I'll bring it up in another episode. You have but seen that one before, just you have to watch it again. I only watched trilogy. it once, That's and I don't ever I see it anywhere. So then I, you know, just kind of don't think about it. Yeah. But I do remember liking it. Like some people, I think, got a little jaded with it just because they're like, okay, it's another funny genre mixing thing. But I was like, well, yeah, like. It's part of a trilogy, yeah. and it's awesome. I thought it was great. I, I've always seen it once, too. So, yeah, yeah. watch it again. Well, hold on a second. While I find this next movie, it 
Oddly enough, it's kind of hard to find the details. I forgot to do a little bit of my research at the beginning of this. And so I'm lagging on some of the info. Okay. But it, the movie I did watch, and you can tell me if you've seen it or have any opinions while I'm finding more of the particular details, is Point Break. Um, have you oh. seen that movie? That is one I don't think I've watched like all the way through. I think I might have seen a little bit of it again on TV or something because the name is familiar, but I don't think I've sat down and watched the whole thing, no. Well, this is where it connects to Hot Fuzz. It's one of the action movies that they drunkenly go home to watch together. Oh, nice. And if you remember the joke from Hot Fuzz, it's just like, you haven't ever just like pointed your gun and shot it up in the air and gone, oh! <laughs> and it's from Point Break. Oh, okay. And then they that's a whole callback joke. He does it later in the movie when he thinks his friend just died. He's like, ah! <laughs> but uh, I was like, well, I have to see that. And... I'm really happy I did. It's a 1991 American action crime film directed by Catherine Bigelow, who if you don't know who she is, she won an, she was the first female to win an Oscar for the movie The Hurt Locker. Oh. At least first female to win an Oscar for directing, specifically. Um, this is one of her earlier films. It stars Patrick Swayze. Swayze. I like to call him the Swayze. Swayze though. Keanu Reeves. Lori Petty and Gary Busey. Oh, the idol of American youth. Yes. And uh, I didn't know this, but the film's title refers to a surfing term, which is point break, which is where a wave breaks, and as it hits a point of land jutting out from the coastline, that's a point break, I guess. Huh. And they always they had this big, hard time trying to come up with a title for the film when they were working on it. Like... They come coming up with all those bad nineties titles just like Total Annihilation <laughs> Total Execution or like something like that. Oh yeah. Breakpoint. But I mean it's got that perfect like this is maybe some of the dumbest shit I've ever seen. Has a super gay subtext to it, like Keanu Ray Keanu Reeves and Patrick Swayze seem to really be in love with each other. Just kind of like, you just can't quit me, can you, Johnny? (laughs) And uh, this is my favorite part. It's a little thing, but Keanu Reeves' character's name is Johnny Utah. Ooh. Yeah, so throughout the whole movie, people are like, Utah, get your ass in here, god damn it. (laughs) Gary Busey's his wily partner. And, uh... You might even recognize some of the imagery mm-hmm. from this movie, or at least the concept. Turns out, Patrick Swayze, not only is he Bodhi, which is short for the Bodhivista, which is like the Zen self-actualized oneness, like the, the Buddha Bodhivista, or also I think even in Hindu. Oh, yeah. But Gamapa, my band with Brandon Shockey, uh, we have a song called Bernard's Bodhi which is about the character Bernard from the show Westworld and him kind of a robot basically gaining self-actualization and oneness and all this. And so we called it Bernard's Bodie. And so when I'm watching the movie, it's like, Bodie, oh, Utah, oh. 
but the famous scene or there's a lot of them other than the ah is Bodie and his gang of surfer thugs or whatever it is they rob banks in masks of former presidents so they have one has a Reagan mask one has a Nixon mask another one Lyndon B. Johnson and another one is Jimmy Carter Nice. And they're just run, running around the bank, just like, I am not a crook. <laughs> just, <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's famous. Have you ever seen the bank robbers with the president masks? That's where it comes from. Okay, yeah, I definitely have seen that clip. Yeah, so, don't know if I have much else to say about that, but uh, while I'm looking up the other film, maybe off the top of your head, what's one of your favorite Patrick Swayze and or Keanu Reeves movies? Oh my lord, I actually have not seen the big Swayze film. Still have not oh, seen Roadhouse, yeah. I've seen bits and pieces, but I really do need to watch the whole thing. We oh. should, uh, that's that's on the list, sir. That's going on the list, there you go. Yeah. I'll write that down real quick here. What about, uh, Keanu? Oh, yeah, Keanu. Man, I have to, I'm trying to remember. Well, I mean Matrix. Yeah, that's I have seen that one. There is one I'm trying to think of that I did. There's one where oh, he's a is, stripper cowboy. You know, his voice, I can't remember what it is. But. His voice is in Keanu, which I will say again oh. is a fantastic movie. <laughs> if you oh, haven't yeah, watched gotta, that one yet, yeah. I'll save that for you as well. Okay. Um. Yeah, that's the Key and Peele guys. Yeah, I think the last uh, one I watched with it might have been Scanner Darkly. Remember, watch that one not too yeah, long. Yeah, that is a good one. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I have my favorite one off the top of my head of him. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is solid. Yeah, that's a good one. Devil's Advocate. He's actually uh the comedian Jim Norton pointed it out on O and A once, but like when he cries in Devil's Advocate, it's actually really heartbreaking and Keanu has a reputation for being a mediocre to bad actor that's just highly charismatic. Uh-huh. But in that you're like, oh damn, like fuck. Like really fucking sad. Yeah. So he can tap into it, I guess, when he wants to. Yeah, but uh the next sure. film is Misery. Have we watched that or no? I forget. Give me a little bit of the plot. That is ringing a bell. Misery is a 1990 American psychological thriller film directed by, by Rob Reiner, probably one of the best directors to adapt Stephen King books, which is what Misery is. It's based on his 1987 novel of the same name. It stars James Caan, Kathy Bates, who I think her character in this, uh, Annie Wilkes, is... Mm-hmm. My top three, one of my top three villains of all time. Oh, damn. She creeps me out so bad in this movie. And it's mostly just those two. There's a, there's a detective and his wife that have like a really charming banter back and forth. It's kind of like a side story. It's just this uh, local sheriff who's trying to investigate. 
but it's about an obsessive fan who holds an author captive and forces him to write a story. Pretty simple. I'll elaborate yeah. a little bit. I don't think it gives the spoilers away, but he's basically based on Stephen King, mm-hmm. who he wrote a book called Eye of the Dragon, which was his attempt to like kind of branch out from the horror genre and do more of a fantasy novel. And a lot of people really rejected him on that and like got pissed. It's like, write more horror, you son of a bitch. Like kind of like that, like got hate mail. Oh, wow. And so he kind of envisioned the story of this author who writes these kind of pulpy romance novels. And then he writes a book that he finishes that's, kind of him branching out from that and really like this is a book I actually really believe in and feel strongly about and he gets into a car accident in the mountains cuz he goes to Colorado every year to write and finish books up and the person who saves him is Kathy Bates character Annie Wilkes she turns out to be a gigantic fan of his uh kind of melodrama romance novels called Misery Ah. And basically she doesn't like his new stuff and is obsessive about him and the series of books and holds him captive. And that's all I will say. Nice. It's uh, definitely top three Stephen King movie adaptations. Um, Bates' performance drew widespread praise from critics and won her the Academy Award for Best Actress. And Making go. Misery, the only film based on a Stephen King novel that won an Oscar. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, if do you, does that ring a bell? Have you seen this? Well, it's funny. I don't know if you remember talking about it, but I've talked... We to talked s- about it. Okay. Then, yeah. I remember talking about it pretty recently, but yeah, I haven't watched that one yet, so... Mm-hmm. Yep, it's on well, the list. Well, with that, it's going to go right on that list. That is one thing I will do on uh, one of those solo episodes as uh, if we need to fill in a week that we're busy. I'll do my top 10 Stephen King movie adaptations. I don't think we've done that yet, have we? No, I don't believe so. Cool. So, with that, the next movie I watched was Seven. Have you seen that? Yes, it's been... Quite a long time. Yeah. What's in the box? <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's another standout line. That's the that line. is uh <laughs> Yeah. That is a nineteen ninety-five American neo noir psychological crime thriller film directed by David Fincher and written by Andrew Kevin Walker, who I'll have to research and find out what else he's written, because I think the writing and concept and just the lines from the characters are just like top notch in this movie. It stars Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, Gwyneth Paltrow, Kevin Spacey as the psycho, which I guess I used to think Kevin Spacey was an amazing actor, but apparently he's just playing himself. And Arlie Ermey and John C. McGinley. The film tells the story of David Mills, Pitt a detective who partners with the retiring William Somerset Freeman to track down a serial killer who uses the seven deadly sins as a motif in his murders. 
Uh, this is one of my favorite David Fincher movies. Definitely top three. It's really creepy, really sad. Sets an amazing atmosphere for all the creepiness and sadness. Yeah. Um, what do you remember about it? Man, I yeah, remember it was quite interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's been a little too long. Yeah, it's a... Uh... Oh, yeah, I can't remember any, like... I remember kind of the rough plot. That's about it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I remember the box scene. <laughs> certainly remember the ending. Yep. Uh, I suppose the only other thing I'll say on this one, because it really is something you just got to watch and let it slowly unfold. But uh, mm -hmm. uh, I would say... Oh, sorry. This is an anecdote about the movie that when they pitched the movie to the studios, they were like, this is great, we'll make it, but you should change the ending. Oh, and yeah. Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman were like, we're not going to do the movie if you change the ending. Oh. That's the whole... That's the whole movie. Yeah. It's, like, it's all leading up to that. So if you soften that or go another direction, it's just like, it's just not going to hit. Yeah. And... uh they were right, because people just, you could just go, what's in the box? And people are like, fuck. <laughs> to this day. Yep, indeed. So that's going to go on the list, sir. Yeah, I'm going to watch for a that soon. <laughs> um, We'll try to hit up these other ones. I don't have quite as much to say on these. I finally watched an 80s classic. I do that with quotation marks. Adventures in Babysitting, starring mm. Elizabeth Shue. Oh, okay. Uh, that was... I love Elizabeth Shue. I'll say that much. And it is directed by Chris Columbus. He's the guy who did the Home Alone movies and some other ones. Ah. But I've decided that Chris Columbus, and this is his director directorial debut so you can still be a little forgiving but that guy's a cornball <laughs> i like home alone and home alone 2 just out of sheer nostalgia and i think it does have some good stuff but they but are man they corny yeah and there's a surprising amount of like really dated uh you know slurs and things of that nature in this movie that come out of like some kids mouths oh boy and you're like, whoa, like, you know, I'm not gonna, the past is a past and people are a product of the time they live in. So I'm not going to be trying to be like, oh, I need to, just, but yeah, you watch this movie and it is like, whoa, that's weird. <laughs> it's just, it's not that funny. Uh, it kind of stunk. I couldn't even finish it. So oh, sorry damn. to fans of this movie, but. And I'm sorry to Elizabeth Shue, because I still love you. But that is just not very good. Have you seen that one? I've never even heard of it, so that's why I'm surprised it's on the classic list. Well, I'm not that surprised. but <laughs> Yeah. No, it's just, it's not classic classic, but it's like when you're looking for any potential 80s mo movies that people really remember, that, 
you know, you're just trying to kind of cover your bases with 80s movies. You're like, oh, well, I remember that. I remember the cover and. Yep. It has a really kind of charming intro scene with Elizabeth Shue like dancing around her room singing to a song. Nice. But uh, that's honestly all that it, that it did for me. Downhill from there. Yep. Uh, with that, I move on to a much better film, Death Becomes Her. Have you seen that? No, I haven't seen that one. Going on the list, sir. <laughs> nice. Um, that is a 1992 American black comedy fantasy film directed and produced by Robert Zemeckis, who is another great director. He did the Back to the Future films and, uh, perhaps... No, maybe it was more of a producer on Gremlins, but I might be getting that wrong. Uh, oh, he did Forrest Gump. Oh. Um, he kind of really fell off later in life. Did like movies like Polar Express, Monster House, Beowulf. Just kind of, yeah, he kind of became a cornball too. But I, I regard him much better than Chris Columbus. He did Contact, Castaway. Uh, oh, wow. Romancing the Stone, Used Cars, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, yeah, those are some some cult, like, classic movies. Even Polar Express, for some reason. Maybe it's because oh, the... of the cold, dead eyes. But Yeah, very cold, <laughs> dead eyes. But this movie stars Meryl Streep, Bruce Willis, and Goldie Hawn. And the film focuses on a pair of rivals, who is uh, Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn. They drink a magic potion that promises eternal youth and experience unpleasant side effects when they physically die, becoming walking, talking corpses as a result. Ooh. Yeah, and it's it's very silly. It's very, like, artfully done. It kind of has, like, that uh, heightened reality that was similar to, like, The Addams Family and some Tim Burton movies to a degree. It's like really dark humor and yeah, Bruce Willis, like one of the only times you'll see him kind of playing like a frumpy, like goofy nerd type. Like usually he tries to be a tough guy. Yeah. And then this, he's just like an alcoholic who's depressed and trying to get a divorce. And yeah, man, it's uh, my mom loves this movie and it's kind of like if I want to see my parents laugh. I put this movie in and they they just won't stop laughing. Nice. And yeah, so it's kind of one of those like, ah, this will cheer my mom up if I show her this. Obviously, you have to wait a little while. So it's like, I haven't seen that in forever. But yeah. Yeah. It's just a total classic. Another one you can't really do too many spoilers on. You just got to watch it. And so with that, I come down to my last two movies. There is True Grit by the Coen Brothers. Classic. And you can talk about that because I know you've seen it. And then I'll talk about the last film. Yeah, I uh, I remember I watched that one in theaters. I don't remember if we went or not. If it was just me and no, I don't think we were even hanging out quite yet. Oh yeah, that was two thousand ten. Oh yeah, that was. I think we started to hang out more. The end of 2010 into 2011. Yeah, so right at that start. But yeah, I went and saw that one in theaters, and 
it's been a long time. Mm-hmm. Have have gotten more into movies and stuff since then. I do remember thinking like I thought it was gonna be over, and then there was like another like half hour. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah. I can't remember. That might not be. I might not feel the same way if I watched it again. <laughs> I think you would love it. Sorry, I got my phone on. Uh, yeah, I I liked it way more this time. The first time I saw it, I was all about movies, but I still hadn't quite wrapped my head around the Coen Brothers thing. Yeah, like I wasn't really sure what they were doing, and you know as well as I do that their endings are very like, huh. i guess that's the end and i just remember yeah you kind of have the big climactic moment but then something happens and then it leads into this other thing and then it does a time jump and it kind of reflects on the whole movie and then it just sort of ends but it's not in like reflection like any conclusions are really drawn yeah exactly and it's just like oh oh and oh (laughs) it's just like it's a great movie though it's the coen brothers love of language and just actors really like digging into these characters i mean it's apparent and i mean everybody's great in it it has um matt damon uh the girl she's actually started to show up in a bunch of stuff but I remember at the time, I think she won an Oscar for this. But, uh, let me find that real quick. Yeah, what was the main? Haley Steinfeld. She was like 14 years old and just like, yeah, is totally on top of the character and she owns it. Like, she's in a movie with Jeff Bridges, Matt Damon. And uh, Josh Brolin, and she owns the movie. So, yeah, it's just, it's incredible. And you should totally rewatch it. So that's going on the list, sir. I'm down to rewatch that one. And Rooster Cogburn by Jeff Bridges is just, the uh, Jakes yeah. is occupied. Yep. <laughs> and then I found out that outhouses were called Jakes. I was like, ah. Uh. <laughs> I don't know if I I like that very much, but. (laughs) And anyway, moving on, since we've definitely spent quite a bit of time on the movie section, is the last movie was one I watched right before this podcast, and it's Maverick. That stars Mel Gibson and Jodie Foster and James Garner. A total like awesome old guy, uh, comedic actor. Um, that is based on the 1957 through 1962 television series of the same name, and basically it's all about Gibson, who's a card player and con artist who collects money in order to enter a high stakes poker game. He's joined in his adventure by Annabelle Bransford, played by Jodie Foster. And another con artist, and Marshall Zane Cooper, a lawman. And Hello. there's a bunch of other great supporting actors from past Richard Donner films, and he was the director. And that's another one that I'll do a top ten list of, because if you look at his movie list, 
He does all the lethal weapons. He did the Omen, Superman. He worked on Superman too, but then the studio meddled, and so there's a director's cut of his version of Superman too. He did the Goonies, Scrooged, Conspiracy Theory, and probably the one I need to watch that I've never seen is the Lady Hawk. Wow, yeah, that's a good list. Yeah, man. He has a couple other ones, but they're not anything I've heard of, or it was more recent stuff. And Like, he did a Michael Crichton book, Timeline, and I remember that kind of stunk. But maybe I'd enjoy it now for the time it was made. Yeah. But, yeah, I'll do a top ten list of him as another one of those banked episodes that we can release at some point. But uh, Maverick's another one that my family really liked, and it's PG and very safe, and but it's very charming and moves right along. Lots of clever back and forth between characters, and it's Mel Gibson probably at one of his most charming roles, and before he ruined his career, like uh, yeah. Seven Guy. Kevin Spacey. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. Go into it and enjoy it. But I would say real quick, my I'll do a quick ranking here. Seven is my favorite. Then Misery. Then Hot Fuzz. Then True Grit. Then Death Becomes Her. Then Point Break. Then Maverick. Then Adventures in Babysitting. There you go. Yep. And with that, do you want to get into your trip real quick, or do you want to get into the last set, last uh, segments? Well, uh, we can go a little bit over the trip. There's not too much to really chat about. You did just uh, make me think with talking about the Maverick thing. I went to the a casino for my first time. Was like it a, a riverboat casino? One. No, it was just a okay. normal land casino. I was in South well, Dakota. Okay. So they do have the Were Missouri. you there the whole time, or did you go some other spots? Well, we, we drove around South Dakota. So started in Sioux Falls for a few days. Uh, well, I flew into Minneapolis and then went immediately mm-hmm. to Sioux Falls. So that was cool to drive through Minneapolis. That's really pretty up there. Um, Nothing like Fargo. <laughs> uh, you didn't drive through Fargo? No, we never have gone that way. Someday we'll get up there. But <laughs> well, What about making a stop in Brainerd? Well, we did see the one, uh, the one, the two girls she interviews. Mm-hmm. You know, the, I think one of them goes to Chaska. Uh, we Chaska. did see that, that town. So, All right. <laughs> yeah, went to the, uh, the casino. It was pretty awesome. I played a, not poker, it's a, form of poker called pie gal that was uh mm-hmm. was really fun and uh we actually walked away from the table after two hours with exactly what we sat down with went, yeah. it was really weird <laughs> i wonder what the odds are on something like that oh man i can't even imagine imagine insanely high but yeah. then we went and made a bunch of money on the slot machines so it was a good time I was like why wow, no wonder people go to the casino you can totally make yeah, money yeah. <laughs> yep. but uh then when i when we uh the first part of the trip we drove over to the west side of south dakota into the black hills went and saw 
saw the faces on the mountain, saw the Mount Rushmore and Crazy Horse and did a bunch of cool highways and drove up to some fire lookouts and mm-hmm. it was really cool. Saw a lot of bison and antelope and some wild donkeys. Yeah, it was a great great yeah. time. Awesome. Found a gold mine too. That was cool. It was all like blocked off, but I found it. <laughs> Did you like Oh, you heard about this mine and went to go seek it out or like legit we're just hiking around and like, oh hey. Well, we were looking for a different mine that uh our our guide knew where a mine was and so we were walking to that one and I was like looking I was just looking around and I saw one on the opposite side of the canyon, just up in the trees a ways. There was like some steel poking up and it was the cage that was covering the entrance. So we went mm. up and looked at it. It's crazy. Just this giant like eight foot round hole just vertical into the ground it had those big timber you know wood beams to like keep it from collapsing yeah yeah it was awesome i've never seen like an old school mine like that all the mines around here are just little holes carved in like there's no no mine carts or any wood to hold up the the rock it's just a hole (laughs) so it's cool to see like a legit old school mine were you able to go in at all, or it's just kind of something you had to appreciate from the outside? Yeah, they had a they had them all blocked off. Like that one was dangerous. Like it was a giant pit, and if you were if it was like overgrown and you weren't mm-hmm. paying attention or you slipped, you totally just die. <laughs> you won't. We won't know me no more. Yep, you'd be dead. So there was another one that uh had a a vertical like shaft and a horizontal shaft. That was the one that we we were going to check out that one was pretty cool too yeah so yeah it was really fun not a place that you don't you know everybody goes and goes to rushmore and stuff but as far as like the outdoors stuff you know hiking and backpacking there's a ton of that to do as well it's really cool and then we then we on the way back we drove through the badlands which is well known as a amazing place and definitely worth all the hype it was really sweet Mm, what's what's the black hills is what they call it the Black Hills is where the Mount Rushmore is. The Badlands is a different place. That's okay. Kind of, it actually Titans really looks down. really similar to uh, Southern Utah. <laughs> but, cool. Yeah, it's cool. Um, it just occurred to me that um, last time you traveled, you went to Oklahoma, and we did a whole Oklahoma State information bit. So, ooh, another perhaps, episode. Yeah, we might have our buddy on next time to talk about something specific that we'll just keep in our pocket for the time being. But yeah, we'll have to hit the South Dakota segment sometime soon. I think I would like to eventually hit all 50 states. Oh yeah, that'd be really fun. I know I remember Colbert on uh, the Colbert Report used to do uh, Better Know a District. Yeah, like trying to fill all those in, and I I definitely like that segment. So we'll just do the states. We can't get too specific. I don't think. <laughs> yeah, that'd be really but, fun. We'll have to hit our old, have to hit our home state sometime too. I could oh, go. We'll on. save that for last. That's we'll going to be a multi-part episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Segments. <laughs> With that, let's get into our uh, different segments. Let's get into some philosophy. Quite. Preposterous. Yes. I dare say. 
Don't help. Pink tapes. Okay, the list came through this week, you know? This one is actually like a good philosophical discussion that I think could actually, you know, prime the pump of of good conversation, maybe. Okay. When is it okay, if ever, to disobey the law? All the time. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to try to find a quote real quick. Why don't you give me your opinion on that while I try to find it? Well, I, I've always, you know, the 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 spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. I've always been a a believer in that. So, I think there's plenty of times like breaking the law, air quotes, like when you're even really not breaking the law. Like the law has an intended purpose, and you might go around that, but you're not really breaking the law. <laughs> um. Mm-hmm. I don't know, it's hard to think of a like an exact example off the top of my head, but I don't know, as a motorcycle rider for instance, I've sat at some red lights for a really long time and suddenly been like, you know what? This light ain't ever going to go green cuz my motorcycle is not heavy enough. And there is actually a law that says if you sit at a light for a minute and it doesn't change, you can go. So, mm-hmm. I guess in that case you wouldn't be, but even then, at a certain point on my motorcycle, I stopped waiting a minute. I, there's this one light that I knew it would never sense me, so I'd pull up to it. There'd be no cars in sight any direction, so I'd just go. So that kind of thing, you know. There's lots of little tiny things that I don't think really matter anyways. So. Mm-hmm. I will have to see if I ever come across this quote. It might have even came from a movie I watched that really put it in a great way. But uh, I'll read this, which is it's kind of the same sentiment. But if you truly believe the law is wrong, you should break it in a public way so that people can see what you are doing. You should then prove your sincerity by taking the punishment for your actions. If all of these criteria are met, breaking the law is acceptable. Now what I would add to that is essentially there are laws of human decency in nature and then there are laws created by man. Sometimes they sync up with those other laws and they are morally and naturally acceptable. But sometimes they're clearly a form of control over we as a free people who I think every human being on the face of the planet should be free. Yep. And it's a bit of a libertarian concept in a lot of ways. Uh, when we've taken that little political test, I know you and I land somewhere near social libertarian. There's obviously a need for government and laws and order, but that being said, a government really shouldn't encroach on an individual's right to live the life they see fit to live so long as they aren't harming anyone yeah and that's where it does can get a little muddy it's like well how do you define harm and how do you define your actions affecting other people and that's where you could get into the subtleties of say smoking in a public restaurant you know yeah but you know it's like well if the restaurant clearly states that this is a smoking restaurant 
you have the freedom to know how to read and understand that you're not welcome there. And that's built for people that smoke. Yeah. Go to a casino. There's nothing wrong with having a smoking bar and then having the clean bar down the street. Yeah. And, you know, then you get into things like polluting. Is you throwing a plastic bottle on the ground hurting everybody else? Sort of. Sort of not. Yes. Oh, absolutely. But, but you know <laughs> what I mean. It's like you get into that fine point. Like, in the moment, no. Long yeah. term, yes. Yeah. So. So. Yep. It isn't as cut and dry as people like to make it sometimes, like some hardcore libertarians that think there should be no government and no laws. And it's not as cut and dry as, well, your right to own a gun. It's like, you definitely have a right to own a gun. And I'm definitely for having silly, ridiculous guns that you want to own simply to go up into the mountains and go to the range and blow shit up. It's like, but then it's like, how much does that weapon pollute? How much, you know, uh, does it take to make that weapon? And how much of an environmental impact does it have? Where, you know, blah, 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 blah. And the person running it should know what they're doing. So I think that's, that's the whole thing. I don't think everybody's trying to like take guns. It's just, we want some control, which is perfectly reasonable. (laughs) Well, yeah. And that's another great one. It's, uh, oh, if you have committed a felony or you have you know records of mental illness you don't get to own a gun yeah can't be trusted with one and what's funny is i've heard two arguments for this it's just like well it's dangerous to let the government define what mental illness is And there's also people that have mental illness that are offended by it. It's like, people with mental illness do not commit violent crimes. And it's like, well, some do. Yeah. (laughs) Clearly. But yes, and then you have to define what mental illness is. Because to me, being hyper-religious or hyper-nationalist or highly idealistic is a mental illness. That's the thing. And those tend to be the people that run around shooting people. So. Yeah, I think everybody's yeah. mentally ill. Like, everybody's got We something. all have varying degrees. Yeah. We're, they call it a spectrum, and we're all on it somewhere. Like, yep. You know, it's occurred to me, too, is it's like you never really think about it, but animals have mental illness. It's like when you look at a dog and it's constantly chasing its tail. Nobody thinks about that as like, oh, that dog has like OCD or, oh yeah, yeah, That's you true. know, or, or obsessive compulsive disorder, <laughs> like, you know, and we're like, ha ha, isn't it cute? And like, no, it's well, actually kind of sad. It's freaking out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but and and that's the whole thing, man. It's it's so the initial concept is breaking a law. Clearly, there's a time and a place to break laws. I'd say a really great example is smoking weed and doing psychedelics. Particularly in the case of, like, where it's not legal medically, but we know it works. 
like yeah. here in Utah where a bunch of people were driving over to Colorado have been going to get like the tinctures and stuff so their kids don't have seizures and I know a, a person who's like should have been dead years ago from lung cancer who's been mm-hmm. self medicating and on that and he's it's actually like stopped the growth. Like it's it's doing great. <laughs> well you know what I gotta say to that though? I'm cool. so sick and tired of the medical thing being the argument. Well yeah, because true it, that. it feels like you have to think of like the most moral angle on it. And I I feel like it's the same thing with the gun argument a little bit, where it's like, no, I, I want to smoke weed because yeah. it's a good time. And yeah, smoking it, inhaling a combusted plant matter is not good for me, but so the fuck what? Neither is alcohol, and alcohol is way worse for me. But I'm going to get fucked up this weekend drinking. And as long as I'm not hurting anybody else other than myself, fuck off. Exactly. So, in that regard, weed is just like, well, actually, it's showing signs of addiction and blah, 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 blah. And you're like, so the fuck what? (laughs) So does everything else. Yeah. And I'm a big... I'm a big proponent of we should legalize all drugs. And I know people get really like, what? But here's the rub. If anything is illegal, if there is a demand, there will be a black market. And it's better to have things legal and regulated and basically have treatment to help addicts. And study after study has shown that addicts aren't addicts purely because of a chemical dependency or because of that. It's because they're lacking sufficient quality of life more often than not. They're not, they don't have enough of a sense of community. They don't have enough love in their life. They don't have a fulfilling job. Most addicts are addicts because of desperation and perhaps mental illness and things that need to be treated as far as depression and uh, abuse or trauma. And so there are people that are genetically bent towards being habitual drinkers, uh, meth addicts, whatever. But the real way to help that is to treat them and help them get better. It's not to arrest them and send them to a prison where they learn how to sell harder drugs and then eventually start doing them. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, that's that's one I feel like I could go off on. So, to go back to the core of this, absolutely, <laughs> you should break laws <laughs> when oh, they are an unjust. That being said, don't. It, it's similar to the quote, don't be so open-minded that your brain falls out. Yep. Don't be so rebellious against the law to get yourself into a situation that fucks you over for the rest of your life. Sometimes yeah. you got to slip between the cracks and live kind of a gray existence in yeah. order to get by and have a quality of life that's going to keep you out of, say, getting addicted to a drug or being locked away for something unjust. But there is a time and a place to get arrested and what what is that quote? That's a good one. 
see. Um, Something l- about like protesting. Um, it's our right to protest, and Europeans definitely take advantage of that. And here, it's it has that stigma because it's so linked with rioting and looting. But it's, well, it's usually just clearly. Not. Anybody who's like, we need to start outlawing this, they're clearly trying to oppress the voice of the people. And that's an unjust law, is it not? Indeed. If you're protesting and non-violently and not damaging property. I will read this quote and then we'll move on. It's from John Lewis, the congressman who walked with Martin Luther King, who recently passed away. And we should also pass his, I think we should name it the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. But just to honor him, but his quote is, freedom is not a state, it is an act. It is not some enchanted garden perched high on a distant plateau where we can finally sit down and rest. Freedom is the continuous action we all must take, and each generation must do its part to create an even more fair and more just society. Yep. And get in good trouble is what his whole thing was. Good trouble is doing what's right, even if it's breaking the law. Yeah. Like So with that, or go ahead if you have thoughts. I was going to say, like, the, you know, uh, the attorney's office here in Utah got vandalized during one of the protests. So, like, they put red paint like all over it and everybody was uh, like just kind of got really pissed off at just that you know yeah just the 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 vandalism but that i actually get like that one they had a point that guy does have sure. blood on his hands like they're that's actually you know yep so yeah you know it's like and you gotta be able to look at it and be like okay that's wrong but that doesn't mean the whole the whole night is shot just because a few most likely like of the opposite uh political party people showed up and started breaking windows and stuff well and to be fair that is that that is a factor there was if you remember when we were watching the riots and protests last year yeah we had that multicam like you could see perspective right from within it 12 different sources all at once and it would just zoom in on one if one got a little more elevated i guess uh-huh. but there was clearly footage of cops dressing up as protesters to vandalize things to get the protesters in trouble there was clearly yeah i'm gonna say it people on the right coming in that are trying to be antifa once again quotation marks in the air Yes. Trying to delegitimize a protest. That being said, there is a factor or a faction of super left leaning anarchists that look for these moments and like to fuck shit up. Yeah. Some 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 are Antifa, once again air quotes. But Antifa is simply anti fascist. It's not really a movement like people keep trying to say it is. Yeah, anybody Maybe who's... the band KMFDM or the band Ministry, like, we ran too far, and it's like their fan base. But I mean, I love KMFDM, and 
I'm anti-fascist, but I wouldn't identify with these super far-left anarchists. No. So they do come out, and that's the whole element of a large protest, is it's an opportunity to start a riot, which is the opportunity for a bunch of miscreants to come in and damage property and steal things. And that happened with the L.A. riots. It's like, ooh, we can get in there and steal some TVs. Yeah. And it's bound to happen, but I will say that the percentage, like, and this is multiple sources, go look it up. I'm not going to bother to list them here. The percentages on people that are like the Antifa far-left anarchists that just want to see our society burn, and I would say also on the right, the percentages are so small. But yeah. yet that's obviously what gets blown up in the news. Exactly. And all I would say before we move on, because this is starting to be a chunky episode, is that I don't agree with rioting and I don't agree with damaging property, but the human's life is more important than property. Yeah. So and... some of these big businesses, I think they can handle... A little bit of wildness or a couple hours they had to shut down. And because this protest happened, this miscreant came in and saw an opportunity to bust a window. Yeah. Or somebody who's like, I'm angry and I don't know how to do this peaceful protest shit. I'm going to start fucking shit up. Nobody should be like that. No, and it but, even, it just arrest all of them. The the far left dude, the far right dude, the cop dressing up as a protester, throw them all in jail. <laughs> and I find that the people that do fuck things up, I mean, you remember the videos we watched. It's just people's cell phone capturing the moment. It's very, yeah. like, immediate footage. A lot of it was, like, these white 20-something-year-olds. There was some black guys, so I'm not doing that whole thing. But we mostly saw white 20-year-olds just like, dude, this is crazy. I'm getting fucked up down here. (laughs) Like, they're just doing drugs and want to watch the world burn a little bit. And you know what? I'd be lying if there wasn't a slight part of me that is like, whoa, this is crazy. And I'm getting some kind of sick enjoyment out of it. Yeah, it's it's a tiny it's, part it's inter- of me. It's entertainment, but it is like holy shit! I can't believe this is going down, and it's we're kicking back, watching the footage, sipping beers, like I'm not going down there. And <laughs> I really had this hard debate, like, because I really do agree with. I think there's some extreme, like sub like side fringes of the BLM movement where it's like some actually want to get rid of police, but I, once again, a very small percentage and I'm like, yeah, no, fuck that. We need police. But most of them were like, no, it's, it's not defund. It's like reallocate funds to the specific areas in which this department can handle this. And so mental health workers being able to engage with people that are clearly, unwell in the public maybe brandishing a weapon of sorts but to talk them down and of course i mean how much footage have we seen of the crazy meth head white guy who just has a weapon like i'll shoot your ass if you come stepping on my lawn and the (laughs) cops are like calm down sir sir we're gonna have to arrest you 
and then there's a black man selling a loose cigarette on the street corner and he gets choked to death. Clearly, there's a difference. And it's not all cops, and it's not all fucking protesters. It's All of this is way more complicated than these categories and groups we like to create and then generalize people with. But it's just... We watch so much footage and yeah i'll never forget and and it was so crazy too that like there was some pro- protesters that were like saying stuff i totally agreed with but they're like basically squawking and like being incredibly rude and like screaming and yelling at people that are just trying to get out of there and yeah. it's it makes me like not want to hear you and so I agree with protesting, but it's like not all forms of it, if it makes sense. And so I never went and did it. I never felt like I could fully commit to it because there is an element of this weird drum circle-y group think kind of thing that freaks me out just as much as religion or political parties or whatever. And so I support it by trying to fund nonprofits that actually help the legal cases of some of these folks and uh, try to educate myself in areas where I may be ignorant. But I'm just not going to be the guy out there with the chant and the sign. And, and yeah. I think that's it's has to be okay to be able to do that. Not everybody oh, sure. is a protester. Yeah, and I think if you were out there, you'd have to you should be out there yelling at both sides, being like, It's there's a gray area. It's not cut and dry. Like that's the message that people need to hear the most. In a little bit, but that's why you have a show like this, right? Exactly. That's just purely comedy and we never say anything serious. Yep. If you're mad, <laughs> we were kidding. Uh yeah. <laughs> and if you believe us, right as if I catch good man, I can. Yeah. But uh, all, and yeah, this did spur some shit on, but I would say I was at the Women's March after Trump got elected up in Seattle, and there, that was a very profound thing to take part in, because mm-hmm. I, I guess I did go, so I have protested, and I was there because I'm anti-Trump. I'm not anti-conservative, I'm anti-Trump. I think there's a lot of good conservative ideas that have really been, you know, delegitimized and ruined by the current Republican Party, but I still think there's good Republicans, and it's just they got to get out from under that Trump motherfucker, but we've we've had that conversation. I don't want to get stuck in that. You're you're anti-American if you're still pro-Trump. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) Yeah. I was in that protest, and just to fill the streets from Beacon Hill to walk downtown to the Space Needle... Yeah. And so many people quietly, calmly walking. And I remember just like hearing people having lively discussions about politics and disagreeing. But it was everybody kind of peacefully walking and a bunch of pink hats. Nice. And that, if people forget, but the biggest reason it was the Women's March is because we elected a guy that proudly boasted about grabbing a woman by the pussy. And that was like, it one got morphed into all this other bullshit, but 
I remember the next year I went, I had a terrible cold, but I was like, God damn it, I need to go. But the the whole march had lost something. It started to split off into factions and no, it started to just be that. And it's just, it's the same issue with Democrats in general is that they have a really wide umbrella that covers a lot of interest groups. Yeah. And so they end, there tends to be a lot of infighting and in how to properly seek progress. And that's why Republicans can get so much shit done because it's people that are like, I don't want to change shit. America. America and God. Don't you dare touch my hamburgers. <laughs> and there are some like really thoughtful, deep conservatives that have great points, but I, come on. It's few and far between. Most of it is just like, I don't like change. And I don't like a darker skin tone in the offices that I'm used to worshipping. <laughs> so, protests can... Protests and movements and isms and... All that can go south real quick. And mm -hmm. that's too bad, but... It's good to protest. It's good to be informed and to question what you're told. And you should question me and Kellen. Yeah. I would hate it if somebody became a fan of this and just like, anything you guys say, just holy shit. Like, no. Like, we're wrong sometimes. Yeah. I think, I don't know. I really try to think about it. So a lot of it's opinion, but I, I try to be accurate. But questions shit. Just don't yeah. let your brain fall out. Check your sources. The world's flat and it's all a series of tubes. Just like, okay, fuck, dude. <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> yeah. I can say it. Yep. <laughs> but anyways, let's move on. Because where, where are we at? We're getting oh, pretty Lord. long. You want to go into the weird news? Yeah, we'll do the weird news. got for us all right it is mike tyson says psychedelics saved his life now he hopes they can change the world during his reign as a heavyweight champion of the world no one was more feared than mike tyson who obliterated opponents with ruthless efficiency but all the while the troubled superstar was at war with himself battling an abusive voice in his battered head i hate the writing in these articles <laughs> led to Iron Mike to the brink of suicide. So basically, Mike Tyson took magic mushrooms, psilocybin, and it changed things for him. I'll read a couple of quotes from him. I'm going to put on my best Mike Tyson. Everyone thought I was crazy. <laughs> I bit this guy's ear off. And... That's Tyson talking about in 1997 when he fought Evander Holyfield and bit his ear off. I did all this stuff, and once I got introduced to the shrooms, my whole life changed. <laughs> to be sure, many people have had negative experiences with psilocybin, but after this, 
he was able to really turn his life around. I think he now owns a pot distribution company and he was able to kind of come back in the public consciousness and basically he's almost like lovable at this point. People kind of forget what a beast he was. And, um, but yeah, he's really kind of turned into like a big old teddy bear, even though he could totally destroy your face if he wanted to. But he goes on to say, it's scary to even say that, said Tyson, who is also a cannabis entrepreneur and podcast host. To think where I was, almost suicidal, to this now. Isn't life a trip, man? It's amazing (laughs) medicine, and people don't look at it from that perspective. I'm cured. I don't know why you don't know why he's turning into an old Jewish woman. but... (laughs) But that being said... I've done magic mushrooms. I've done acid. I'll admit it on here. It was, you know, years ago, past the point of uh, any sort of legal action. Yeah. It was like but, at least a statue. Well, time. first time I did mushrooms, I was in high school. It was a very low dose. I wasn't ever the type to try to just get crazy fucked up, man. Like, some people talk about trying to achieve ego death. Like yeah. by taking a gigantic dose, and I'm like, uh-uh. yeah, like I'm just trying to like sort of like get in touch a little bit and whatever. But all I know is that mushrooms has taught me a profound sense of empathy, and it really does. The best way I can describe it is it makes you look inwards, and it almost like you go through all this shit in your brain, and it helps you start to organize it, and almost like put it into different file cabinets. And you're like, oh, the reason I always flip out on people about this is because I'm always seeking attention, because I feel like I didn't get enough attention when I was younger. Or I'm afraid to commit to friendships and family, because that stuff kind of was so chaotic for me when I was a teenager, you know, so on and so forth. And it it really smacks you in the face with it because, as I've heard it described, um, your neurons in your brain, your whole memory system and the way you think is just a series of electrical charges from neuron to neuron. And so when you do something constantly, it becomes a well-worn path where that's where you get into habits like habitual thinking and almost neurosis. And this would be a great subject for another time, but people that like, damn, this is going to be a lot. This is a chunky episode, dude. (laughs) When people that don't question their religion, they basically a certain part of the brain, and I'll have to look back into this because it's been years since I read about it. Basically, certain parts of your brain will shut down, like certain parts that are kind of like the factory for reasoning or questioning things. Uh huh. It just it does it doesn't ever get used, so it's kind of just like it's almost like a muscle. It's like not worked out. So hmm. if you're ever having an argument with somebody who believes in some weird, silly shit. And you're just like, well, here's evidence here, 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 and here. And if you question that, there's also this, 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 and this. And they'll be like, yeah, but I know it's true. 
Yeah. And you're like, what? And, and like, don't get mad at them because it's it's all brain psychology <laughs> stuff. And so what mushrooms do to get back to the point is it creates these well-worn paths. And so sometimes when you take the psychedelic, and I would personally recommend do mushrooms, do something natural. Don't totally go nuts with the acid thing. I think acid is way safer than how it's been treated in the public consciousness. Oh, yeah. Like the whole, you're going to take it, and you're going to jump out a window and think you can fly. Like Maybe, but that person had mental issues before the acid. And they the were acid also make probably it worse. doing the crazy, the ego death thing. Or sure, something. they Jesus. could have been doing that. Um, they might have logically been suicidal. There's a lot of factors. Um, there's also the thing to consider here that it's, uh, yeah, if you have like a history of schizophrenia in your family or anything like this, like, yeah, maybe you shouldn't be taking things that sort of melts and boils your reality, for lack of a better term. <laughs> yeah. And so I've definitely turned away from them more as I've gotten older. That's not to say I wouldn't like to try some of these, like, go have a therapeutic ayahuasca trip, like down in South America or something, or, yeah, or perhaps, yeah, like go into the desert and do mescaline or the, the DMT one. I want to save that for like when I'm 50 or 60, Ooh. but like... Yeah, I'm saving it because those are like, yeah, nobody, this this is like, I think it's a comedian's bit, so I'm not trying to rip anybody off, but like, oh, it's Greg Duraldo. I'm, I can't remember what he said exactly, and you should just go listen to his stand up. So he does it way better. But the concept is essentially like, you got to save some things for when you're old. Like, yeah, like when your balls are hanging and you're making love to your wife or you've been Oh, this is his bit. You've been begrudgingly shoving your cock into over the last <laughs> 20 to 30 years. Yeah, try some ex- ecstasy. <laughs> Suddenly your balls are going to feel like the tongue of God on her thigh. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just like, yeah. just And it is. It's like you get your driver's license. You graduate high school. You maybe graduate college. You get married, have a kid. What else you got? Yeah. Where are those big first-time epic things? And anyway, I'm getting way off base because there's so much to talk about. We missed last week. Yep. The what mushrooms do is it just kind of... It's almost like it puts fresh snow on all those well-worn paths. And then it becomes like a ski hill completely covered in fresh snow. And then suddenly all your options are open. Yeah. You're like, ooh, I could totally go from here to here. And that is where I think the only danger lies is people are very good at recognizing patterns in things. And sometimes people start to free associate too much on drugs like that and creates connections where they don't exist. And so then they start thinking that Oh, notice how there's always three white cars, then a black car, then no more three more white cars after the black one, and that means the government's watching. <laughs> Once again, that tends to be more meth heads and crackheads that think like that, and mentally ill, 
and I'm not disparaging that, but yeah, when people are like, nope, the shrooms will make you crazy, you're like, no, I don't think people that have never done shrooms have any idea how many people have actually done them, because they're so used to the comical hippie depiction of it that they're like well yeah it's like you do them once you're gonna start wearing tie-dye and thinking the government (laughs) should be ran by animals it's just like no you do mushrooms that makes you more empathetic kind of helps you yeah in a way it gives you that mini ego death you're able to kind of put yourself in other people's shoes and be like oh like my behavior affects people and my True. mental habits and behaviors affect people and yeah uh sometimes that's okay it's not breaking the law right no it's so. not what uh one of the podcasts i listen to um i can't remember if both of them but at least one of the hosts has had a lot of trouble with different you know mental issues um pretty sub more severe than your standard ones too but uh he has started microdosing, so he like crushes up a bunch of them into a powder and takes like just a little bit like every day, just like not even enough to even start feeling or seeing anything, but just enough to mood elevator. do something, you know? Yeah, and it's apparently it's just done wonders better than any other thing he's ever tried. Well, so. and that's kind of what I love is so much of the early days of the drug war with. Uh, the 50s and then Nixon and then Reagan, which is saying now, is they also were, when it came to research on these substances, were just saying now. <laughs> and it's just like, you don't <laughs> think we should know more about these things? And that's what's great, is we've really come into a news fa- new phase where it's like, yeah, addiction is bad, drug habits are bad, and you shouldn't totally lose touch with reality, whatever that is. But there's things to learn from this, and they can be therapeutic. Like, there's endless amounts of stories coming out about end-of-life therapy with psilocybin and trauma treatment with uh, MDMA, I believe, with soldiers yeah. returning from Iraq. And yeah. there are benefits, and if research properly we can know how to use these properly and one could say that all these drug rituals in south america like the ayahuasca trips have they've spent centuries studying it and knowing the right way to do it to use it as a type of therapy sure it's old school maybe could be updated a little bit i don't know i don't know enough about it but yes Research, 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 research. Indeed. There you go. And so... So you're saying there's If a psychonaut doesn't agree with me, or like a correctional facility officer doesn't agree with us, feel free to write us at fakoshka at gmail.com. And we'd be happy to read your email, or if you want to be a guest, if you feel like you could really talk about it, come on, because that's... That's I feel like we're barely scratching the surface on some of that stuff. And same right. thing with like the whole law philosophical discussion. So before we oh, head yeah. out, I kind of want to introduce a... It's not really a segment, but it's just... We're going to start... We've t- titled our episodes 
we've always titled the YouTube ones, but we kind of want to sync it up and start titling the audio ones on Spotify and iTunes and all that. So, Kellen, let me ask you, what should we name this episode? Oh, boy. I have one if you if you don't have one. Yeah, I don't really know uh, what what specific. We talked about so many things. What's your idea? Tyson the Psychonaut. Nice. Because, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's perhaps, at least to me, could have been the most intriguing segment today. And, uh, and it did relate to the law one a little bit. Yeah. And it's just kind of a fun, it's like, ooh, what do they mean by that? It'll learn. And they'll have to listen all the way to the last segment to finally get it. Yep. Bam. So, uh, boom. We got it. We got it. Well, this is episode 34. Whoa. Tyson the Psychonaut. There you go. Um, All the way to We didn't do a Dear Jacob Wayne this week, but we'll get into it next week. And if we can't book our guest... Which, you know, we're still new. It's kind of hard to get people to get into it and have the right equipment or whatever. But if we can get that going, cool. If not, we might jump into that uh, South Dakota thing. There you go. And read your angry emails from Q. Saying how we're evil. Bring it on. All right, with that, y'all have a beautiful Memorial Day weekend, and you'll hear us on Wednesday after that already happened, and yep. have a good one. Yep, we'll see you next time, everybody. Bye-bye! Thank you for listening to The Jacob Wayne Show. If you would like to contact us, please write us at fakoshka at gmail.com. That is F-A-K-O-S-H-K-A at gmail.com. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, and YouTube. Simply search The Jacob Wayne Show and it should pop right up. Make sure you like and subscribe and leave a review and share this podcast with your friends. Please write us. It helps add content to the show and makes the show even better for you, the listener. Thanks for tuning in.